0: So I have noticed this habit with my kids. I've got little kids, and I've noticed this habit. They all have the same habit to different degrees, but they all do this. All of my children like to categorize things. They like to, when they see things that are different, objects, they like to put them into categories. They like to slot them. They like to, you know, delineate them according to what's more alike and what's less alike. Um, my little, my littlest one, my two year old, has started doing this. This is why I know it's like something, you know, hard, hardwired into your brain because she will open up our, 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 uh, our dishes, our drawer where we have all of our pots and pans, and she'll pull all of them out and she'll spread them all across the kitchen floor. She did this this week and, she's, and she puts them in little piles. So she puts all the pots over here, she puts all the pans over here, she puts the you know, baking sheets over here, she puts the colanders over here. She's got these little separate piles all around two years old then she goes up to the next drawer she pulls that one open she pulls out the plates and the bowls and the cups and she just makes little piles of those and I was thinking like actually if I could teach her to open the dishwasher and then transfer right that would make my life easier but 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 she likes to to put things and organize things into like kinds okay I noticed the other day my my nine-year-old we were up in the family center And the children's ministry up there. And they've got all the classrooms. And in the classrooms they've got these little uh, clothespins. That they use to hang their their little papers on. All of their little. Uh, homework papers, their take home papers, and the clothespins are all painted different colors. So the blue, green, orange, yellow, you know, all these different colors. And I was up there a couple weeks ago, and I noticed that my son was going from room to room and organizing all of the clothespins according to color. All the green ones here, all blue ones here, red ones here, orange ones here. It's just something that kids do. They, organ- they, they, they put things into in categories, they, they categorize things. They, they like to do this, and it turns out that my kids are not just weird you know, I mean, they are, but not, you know, that's not, that's not why. I mean, all, all kids, our, our brains, they've discovered, neuroscientists have discovered that our brains are actually hardwired to put things into categories. Um, we, there were some neuroscientists at, at Harvard, and, and they, they discovered that even people who are blind, when they think about things of different categories, so if they think about a hammer, or if they think about, um, a a lion, or if they think about a motorcycle, or if they think about a person, even though they're blind, they've never seen any of these things, just by thinking about it, it actually stimulates a slightly different part of the brain, right? Because our brains are wired to categorize things, and this has been a useful trait, um, throughout human history for reasons of survival. So, like, if you're out on the, on the savannah, and a lion is coming at you, you don't want your brain to spend a lot of time going, huh, wonder what that is, Um, Looks kind of familiar. Looks kind of like the thing that ate Joey last week. Um, You know, right? You want your brain to go lion. I'm out of here, right? So, so there's a there's a there's a value in the ability of our brains to categorize things and to classify things and to put them in structures and to set them apart from one another. However, what can be really useful in one area of life can become highly destructive in another area of life. So. It's important that we can distinguish between a lion and a lemon quickly. We want to know the difference very quickly. But when we take this, this, this impulse to categorize things and we apply it to human relationships, then what we start to do and what we have done historically over time is we start to classify people into groups. We start to separate people into groups. And this desire to distinguish becomes an impulse to divide. Are you with me? It's so quiet, man. It's just so quiet. Our impulse to to categorize becomes an impulse to segregate and separate, right? So we start to to apply categories to people, and through those categories, we then apply a value to people in different categories from us, and then we start to look at people differently based upon our desire to categorize and put them in a box, right? And, And here's the thing. There's a value in in noticing differences about other people. There's a value to that. In fact, I'm, I'm I'm an anthropology minor. I loved I I love this idea of like understanding different cultures and understanding different people and recognizing and and valuing the distinctions and the differences between people. There's a value in that, right? So so you know, some people say, "Well, I, I'm I'm colorblind." You know, it's like. No, actually you're not, you, you actually aren't, unless you actually are colorblind, in, in which case, but, but we, we don't, so there's not a value in just acting like nobody's different, right? There's a value in, in understanding how people are different, but when that, when that distinctiveness turns into division, then we've got problems. That's when we have war. That's when we have oppression. That's when we have slavery. That's when we begin to, to alienate one another. That's when we begin to oppress and and, and set aside and belittle and demean if we allow this impulse to to start adding value to the categories that we've created, right? And so in this series, um, at the end of this series, we get to experience the final words of Simon Peter that were recorded in the Bible. And what I love about the way he signs off is that He signs off by pressing in to the unity, the brotherhood, the sisterhood of believers. He's actually going to be called upon, in the passage I'm going to read to you, he's being called upon to settle this dispute, this debate about us and them, right? Because that's what it boils down to. It's a categorical question. Who is us and who is them, right? How do we separate? How do we... How do we delineate from one another? And Simon Peter, and the thing I love about him is he's not a subtle guy. That's one thing I admire about Simon Peter. Like, I always try to finesse things when I'm saying them. You know, like, kind of smooth out the edges so that it slides across nice and easily. And before you know it, I've said something that probably should have offended you, but I said it really nicely. And then, oh, and then later, you're, you know, you're not offended, but you're at lunch going, should I have been offended? You know what I mean? But P- Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't. He just says, here's the deal. Here's the truth. God said this. I'm doing this. You should do that. Bang. I mean, he just brings it out there. And um, I love that. Uh, but but I want to I want to take you through this passage today, where we get to hear the final words of Simon Peter when it comes to this question of who is us and who is them. So I'm going to read you a little background information, and then um, and then we'll get to hear what he says. So Acts chapter 15, it says this. It says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. So you know, if you're reading the Bible and you see certain people, then, um, you know, we're getting ready to have a pretty interesting story, because it's just certain people were doing this. So they came down from Judea to Antioch, and, and these certain people were teaching the believers, and here's what they were teaching them. They were teaching them a certain, kind of, uh, a certain kind of belief, and here's what they were teaching. They were saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. All right? So this is what they're teaching. They're coming down and saying, you know, if you're, if you're not circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So if you're a student here today or a teenager, you don't know what circumcised is, ask our youth leader, and he will tell you uh, what that means. So, um, but, but what, the, what they're doing is they're coming down and, and they're saying, look, unless, and these are these are Christians, okay, these are followers of Jesus that are, uh, that are also ethnically Jewish, and they're coming to these new believers in the city called Antioch, and they're saying, Unless you become like us, then you can't access him, all right? So that's essentially the philosophy. Now Antioch was this, it was this, it was this town about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's kind of near the Mediterranean. It's along several rivers. It's along several trade routes. So people from all over the world would come to Antioch, kind of like St. Louis. It was sort of a you know, a, a place where people, it was the gateway to the, you know, to the east, if you will. I mean, there were, there were people from all over the world that would come to Antioch. In fact, they used to call Antioch the whole world in one city. People would come from all different places. But Antioch was divided, like physically, literally walled off according to people group. So certain people would live in this district, and then other people would live in this district, and people of this tribe or ethnicity or nationality would live in this district. And so even though there were a lot of people together, they were separated, they were segregated. Did I say Antioch was kind of like St. Louis? It's kind of like St. Louis is what I... So there, there were separations according to ethnic group and nationality, but these, these early Christians came in. So like guys like Paul and Barnabas, missionaries even Peter, came and and after Jesus died, buried, was resurrected, and they started preaching this idea that no matter where you come from, you can actually become one, you can actually become one family in God through love. So this was a radical new idea uh, for the people of Antioch, and in fact, the people of Antioch were so, so confused by this new group of people, because it was starting to include people from all different types of people groups that had not normally been together, and they're so confused by this, they're like, we gotta come up with a category for these people. And they came up with the term Christian. That's the term they came up with. That's the first time you hear the word Christian. The, the people in Antioch invented it. Jesus' followers did not come up with that word. It was a word that they used because they needed a category to describe this crazy group of people that are breaking down all of the barriers and all of the cultural norms and all the taboos and they're all starting to be together as one. So they started being called Christians. Now, some of the Christians who were, because originally all the Christians were Jewish, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, some of, the, some of the more traditional ones, some of the ones who were part of some of the more strict sects of Judaism, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were a little bit unnerved by the idea that like just anybody is allowed in. Like just anybody can come in just like that, they can just pop right in front of the line and like now they're the same status as me. When I've been like following the law and and I got circumcised, and I've, got, I've done the original. I mean, they're a little bit unnerved by this, and I get that, right? Like, I get that because, I don't know about you, but if I'm in traffic, and I'm in a long line of traffic, I've been sitting for a long time, and somebody cuts in on me on traffic, you know what I mean? I get so aggravated. Do you guys get aggravated? Or do you just, are you silently judging me? Because I get really aggravated, right? I don't do anything about it, but I'm like, inside, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> can't say what I say, but I say. But... We were at Disneyland a, a couple, a few years ago, and when somebody cuts in line while you're been, you've been in the line for 45 okay. minutes to get on this dumb ride, you know, and you're trying to get on this ride, and somebody cuts in, what I do is I'm like, oh, man, that burns me up. Silently, I do that. I just go, man, right? But my wife doesn't do that. She's like, excuse me, end of the line is right over here. Thank you. Take it to the back, you know, because we don't like it when somebody cuts in. This is is what's going on with the the early Jewish believers that were from a more traditional background. They're like, wait a minute, you can't just come in and have the same status as me. I've been in all my life, okay? I've been here all my life. My dad was in, his dad was in. I'm multi-generational here, and you can't just come around the corner and suddenly be one of us, right? There needs to be a distinction between us and them. And if you, them, wanna be with him, you gotta come through us. So that's what they're teaching, okay? This aggravates Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas are missionaries and they've been preaching something different. They've been preaching, put your faith in Christ and you become a part of God's family, period, end of story. That's what they're teaching. Right? By the grace of God, you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift. Right? So that's what they're preaching. And then these other guys are coming and go, well, yeah, but not really, because actually what you got to do is all this other stuff. Right? So imagine that you're Paul and Barnabas and you're excited because all these people are starting to follow Jesus. And then somebody comes up and says, actually, you're not really following Jesus. You're them and we're in us. And unless you become like us, you're still going to be a them. Right? That's going to make Paul and Barnabas angry. And that's exactly what it did. It says this. It says, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with those who were preaching this other gospel, all right? Sharp dispute is Bible language for they were about to throw down with these guys. They were mad, all right? So it got so bad, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. This is called the Jerusalem Council. This is the very first major controversy in the early church. It may sound eerily familiar because the very first controversy in the early church was about ethnic and cultural differences and distinctions. Who's us, who's them, who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, where do we draw the line? That was the issue. And these guys are going up to talk to the big dogs in Jerusalem and say, you guys need to solve this issue for us. You need to resolve this us and them dichotomy because we don't know who is us, And we don't know who is them. So they come up to Jerusalem and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul and Barnabas are up there and they're going, listen, here's what's happening. We're preaching and people are coming to Jesus and they're from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different religious backgrounds and ethnic and cultural. They're coming from all different backgrounds. All right. And um, and it's amazing And then these other guys are coming along and saying, you you know, you're not really in. So uh, they're reporting that. Then the other guys come. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, listen, our position is that the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So you've got real clear, a real clear debate, right? You got to do it through us. You got to follow the rules and the rituals and do all the things. That you need to do in order to actually be in the family, versus Paul and Barnabas going, God did it, changed your heart, you're in. That's it. You're in. Right? So they have come to the apostles and, and, and Peter and all of these, these major, major guys, and they're like, We need you to solve this for us. So guess who, guess who decides to talk first? Just take a wild guess. Just take a wild, just a wild guess. It says the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed. The crowd. Now, here's what I love about Peter's story, and here's what I love about this series. I'm really, really glad that Simon Peter's story didn't end with him sinking beneath the waves when he stepped out of the boat a few chapters ago. And I'm really glad that his story didn't end with Jesus rebuking him and saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that was part of his story, but that wasn't the end of it. And I'm really glad Simon's story didn't end when he cut off the ear of a soldier. It's good, it's good that his story didn't end there. I'm really glad that his story didn't end when he denied Jesus and he had this horrible moral failure and he was totally ashamed and condemned. I'm really glad his story didn't end there. Here's what I wanna say, just as an aside. If you're in here today and you're still alive, your story hasn't ended. There's there's, there's, There's another chapter to be written. Wherever you are, there's more to be done. There's another chapter to be written. Your story isn't over. It's not over. Simon Peter has an opportunity here to end the story differently. And here's how he ends it. He ends it with this speech. This blistering, profound, controversial, amazing, revolutionary speech that I'm going to read to you right now. He says this. Brothers, and watch what he does. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. It says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, somebody say them, help me, them, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are saved. That was the last thing he said. That was it. So I want to honor this, this speech today by titling this message, The End of Us and Them. Yeah. The End of Us and Them. I was reading a book. I'm reading a book right now. It's a big book. thick book. It's taking me a long time. It's a new book. It's called The Color of Law. And it's a fascinating book in the sense that the researcher in this book has gone through and, sp- and, and very uh, clearly and with a lot of... A minute detail laid out the history of what we have done as a nation over the last, in like 1940s, 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, in terms of segregating one people group from another, like under the color of law, like actually doing it by law. If you want to look across a city like St. Louis or Chicago or Atlanta, what you see is you see people that are living all in a city but they're separated from each other, largely segregated from each other, kind of like Antioch, right? Because we had policies in place through loans and through real estate agents and through covenants and restrictions on HOAs and through uh, Supreme Court decisions. We, by law, we for decades separated people one from another based on an idea of us and them. And this is not like some ancient history. There are a lot of people in this theater today who experienced this firsthand, like firsthand, like you were alive at that time. Uh, others of you, most of us, at least our parents, experienced it firsthand. At the very, very least, it was your grandparents, but you'd have to be super young, and then your parents would have to be super young. But anyway, we'll capture everybody by grandparents, parents, or you, Right? And the ramifications of that, this book lays out that the ramifications of that and the, and, the, and the social ills that have resulted from that are pervasive and they're ongoing and they will be for decades unless something radically changed, right? But it arose out of this sense of us and them. It arose out of this false dichotomy of race where we separated people and said, those are those and us is us and you are you and- that's how it arose, right? Now, in the first century, in the, in the Bible, in, in Jesus' time, they didn't even have the concept of race yet. That hadn't been invented. That came along in the 16th century. But they still had the impulse. They had the impulse to divide and oppress. They had the impulse to see people that were distinct from them and not just see their distinctions, but to see their dis- distinctions and then to, to characterize them in a certain way, to label them in a certain way, to separate one group from another, and that's what Peter sees happening in the early church. And remember this. Peter was on board with this idea just a few years ago. So 12 years before this day, Simon Peter could not conceive of the idea that people from different ethnicities and backgrounds and people that were not Jewish could actually become part of the the faith. This word Jewish, or Gentile rather, when you read it in the Bible, the word the, actually, the actual Greek word in the Bible is ethne, right? Eth, ethnos. So it's basically saying there's us, and then there's all those other folks, right, who are not like us. And, and Peter, just 12 years ago, was on that bandwagon. And if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about this. God sent a vision into Peter's life and into his mind that broke down those barriers, that began to dismantle deeply seated, deeply held beliefs about us and them. And then last week we explored what the outpouring of that was because, because, because God transformed his mind, sh- broke his worldview in half and shattered it and then started to reforge it. Then he went and he baptized Cornelius and that was the breakthrough that led to us being here today because it started to, to, uh, to, to spread the gospel all around the world to all different kinds of people, right? So, so Peter understands where these guys are coming from. He's been on both sides of this debate. So he stands up, and this is what I love, because he's like, you think it's about us and them and the external and the distinctives and what you guys are supposed to do and what we're supposed to do, but here's what he says. He says, God, who knows the heart, here's what he said. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate, Between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. The size of your family depends on the condition of your heart. That's what he's saying. The size of your family depends on the condition of your heart. Meaning, when God transforms your heart and you begin to recognize who you really are and who the people around you really are in him, your family grows exponentially. You're no longer just, well, it's just me and my mom and my cousins and my two sisters. No. Your family multiplies into the millions. Your family multiplies into the billions if you begin to understand that we are one by faith in Christ. He transforms your understanding of who you are and who your family is, right? Again, you don't not notice the distinctions and differences between you and your family, but you start to... To love your family as your own. So if a, if a member of my family is treated unjustly, I'm, I'm going after that. That's, that's important. That's important to me. That, that, get, that gets under my skin, right? So if, if a member of your family is wounded, if a member of your family is hurt, if a member of your family is treated wrong, and they're your family, that's going to bother you. You're going to want to do something about that. You're going to want to transform some things. You're going to want to move into that direction. And what Peter is saying is like, look, God knew their hearts. He purified their hearts through faith. We become one through faith in Christ. That's how it happens. We're called U-City Family Church, and it's not because this is a church for families, right? Like mom, dad, two kids. and what? That's not why. It's because when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of a family. Because why do you, how can you become, because you have the same father, you have the same father when you have the same father you're in the same family last week 21 people got baptized right and what happens when people get baptized you're baptizing them into christ you're baptizing them into the family you're baptized they become your brother and your sister now you look out for them now you start to you know worry about them and take care of them and, and watch them and make sure they're okay right next week when we dedicate babies we're dedicating them to god we're saying hey we're their big brothers and sisters these are our family members that's what it means and peter is saying look when you when you've become a follower of jesus you become a member of the family that's what happens you're transformed so you need to stop seeing people as us and them you need to start seeing people as us cuz it's a family right and what he says is this and this is really interesting the way he does it because the, the, the guys that are, are advocating for the other position, which used to be him, he used to be on that side, they're saying, well, but you can't be a part of the family unless you do all of the things that family members do. And what Peter says is, you can't work your way into a family. There's only two ways to get in a family. You're either born into it or you're adopted into it. And neither of those actions involve your will. They don't, they don't involve your action, rather. They don't involve... You, they involve the parent. So you're either born into it or you're adopted into it. Either way, it's God. God, he said, he purified their hearts. Did you see how he did? He purified their hearts through faith. He brought them into the family. So, so then he leans on to the other guys and he goes, he goes, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Why do you do that? Why do you put it on? Because Peter knows this. This is personal for Peter. Peter tried really hard to do the right thing. Always tried hard to do the right thing. But if you've been here for this series, you know he often did not pull it off. He was like, man, I'm trying. I'm striving. I want to do right. Bang, I fail. Right? So Peter has the authority, the moral authority to go, look, guys, I know that you haven't been able to pull this off. I haven't been able to pull this off. Our, our ancestors weren't able to pull this off. So you're putting a yoke on people that you cannot carry. Here's what he's saying. If perfection were a prerequisite, we would be a church of one, okay? If perfect, and it wouldn't be anybody in this room, by the way. If perfection were the prerequisite, none of us would be in the church. Jesus would be like, okay, church, and the Tivoli would just be empty. You know? Like there wouldn't be anybody in it, right? Because he's saying, look, it's, it's not about your goodness, it's about God's grace. It's about a God who reaches out to you and bring, and purifies your heart and brings you in through faith. That's how it works. The Barna, Barna Research Group, they do all this research about Christians and what people think about Christianity and all this kind of stuff. And they did, a um, in 2007, they did a, a, a pretty massive poll. And what they found, and this was from people that don't call themselves believers or maybe they used to be Christians, but they're not now or they're... You know, they never were, but anyway, and when they ask them why they are not, or what is it that they don't like about Christianity, they don't actually talk about theology. They're not like, well, I really have a problem with the resurrection. Or it's like, I really, the distinction between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that really kind of got under my skin, so I'm not. No, you know what they say? 85% of respondents said it's because of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And what that means, if you look at the, the word, what they really mean, because that's, as it's described in the scripture, the Greek word hypocrite actually means actor, it means an actor. It means a person who has on a mask. It means a person who puts on an external facade, but behind it, there's somebody else. The only reason that you would put on a facade of perfection is because you are under the misguided belief that you need to be perfect in order to be in the family of God. Otherwise, we wouldn't, why would we act, try to act perfect? We do it, Christians do it, because we're still in the mindset of, I've got to be perfect in order to be in his good graces. And I know I'm not perfect, but I'm sure going to put on a gloss so that everybody thinks I'm perfect. Sadly, nobody believes that, all right? And, and those who are not in the faith see it and go, I just don't get, I just don't buy this at all, right? What Peter's saying, look, it's not about perfection. Take off the mask, allow your, flaw, allow your flaws to be exposed to God and to other believers because he rejuvenates you and he renews you and he restores you by grace through faith, not because you're perfect. It's not because of your goodness, Right? So, so Peter is saying, look, it's not, it's not, it's not, the, it's not your perfection, all right? I, I just want to say this. Some of you today, some of you feel this deeply because you are trying really, really hard. You're trying really, really hard to do the right thing, and you keep failing, and you are so disappointed in yourself, and you're so upset, and you're so ashamed, and you feel so condemned by the things that you've done or said or thought that you, you really, you either decide to put on the mask or you say, I'm out. Like I just, I can't even, I can't even live up to it. And, I, and I'm, I'm just so disappointed now. I would rather not even have that as a standard. And what Peter is saying to you, God is saying to you through Peter today is, it's not about that at all. You're part of his family, even when you mess up, yeah, even when you screw up, yeah. even when you fail, yeah. he's still there. He still loves you because it's not your Perfection. It's not your perfection. It's not your in, in Peter's in Peter's way, it's not your it's not your perfect faith. It's his perfect faithfulness as he comes after you and restores you and renews you. And so here's what he happened, here's what he says after this. He says, No, he says, We believe that it is through the grace, this is the last sentence, last sentence that Peter speaks in the Bible. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. I love how he ends the sentence. He could have said, we believe that we are saved by faith. But he doesn't end it there. He says, we believe that we are saved by faith just as they are. In other words, what he's saying is, you guys, you're, you're missing the point. You think it's about us and them? It's actually about us and him. You see, because they don't, they don't come to God through us. We come to God through grace. They come to God through grace. And when we've all come to God by the same route, now we can turn and understand each other. We can see each other for who we really are because we're one, because we're family. But it has to dis- you've got to dismantle the us and them. I was at a, um, a luncheon not long ago. I'm gonna close here. I was at a luncheon not long ago with some, uh, up, some pastors and Um, and this group of church planters and great, great group of folks. And there was this one church planter, young guy, who was planting a church uh, in a multi-ethnic, diverse kind of neighborhood. And he wanted the church that he was planting to be more reflective of that neighborhood. You know, it was an all-white church and he wanted it to be people from different, ethnic backgrounds and cultures and everything. That's what he wanted. And I was listening to him as he talked about it and he was saying like, you know, we have got to reach out to them and we and da 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 and I was listening to his language really closely. And after the lunch I pulled him aside and I go, Hey man, just you and me, just one on one, I wanna tell you something. I um, I'm with you. I, I get I get what you're saying. I'm behind you. I I feel you. I want you to know that I, I support you. I understand your motivation. I said, but as long as you are seeing this in terms of us and them, nobody wants to be them. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to be them. I don't want to be the, the ones that you're reaching out to. It's got to be us. Yeah. If it's not us, then what are we doing? Yeah. Because this is, what, this, is, this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to actually reconcile the world unto himself and then make us agents of reconciliation. He says that over and over. We see it over and over in the scripture. It's the last thing Peter says. The last thing he says is he leans in on this and starts going, we are breaking down us and them. We're breaking it down. And guess who was sitting in that meeting? The Apostle Paul was sitting in that meeting. And the Apostle Paul was taking some mental notes because after that meeting, the Apostle Paul said, you know what, I'm gonna take some of this, I'm gonna write some stuff down. So he goes, and he gets his little pen, and he gets his little scroll, and he starts writing down a little passage that some of you may be familiar with. This is what he writes down. He says, so, been up at this meeting. We were having some discussions. Here's what, I've, here's what I discovered, what he already knew. So, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, he said, were baptized into Christ, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Then he says this. This this is profound. This is revolutionary. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you, he says, are all one in Christ Jesus. That's radical, man. He's saying, look, I'm not saying we don't see others' differences, but those differences do not create division. They actually create unity. That's when he he starts talking about the body of Christ. It's actually our distinctive differences that allow us to work together and be a whole body, right? My pinky is different from my toe. Thank God, right? Thank God. That would be so bizarre. But... But they need to be different in order for the body to work right. Right? So it's not a denial of differences. It's a unity in differences. It's a moment where we go, oh my God, you came to transform our hearts and our minds to teach us to see ourselves differently. To teach us to look at other people differently and to become one. To become one. My invitation to you today is to allow the Holy Spirit to mess with your mind To begin to break down the way you see yourself. To break down the categories that you use to define and describe and evaluate other people. Because when we do this as a community, when we do this, we do this, when we become we, when it's about us and him, things get transformed. Injustices get turned around because family does that. Family takes care of family. Family changes things. If we begin to allow God, to penetrate our hearts and our minds in this arena, and I'm not talking about in a soft, tender way. I'm talking about in a powerful, transformative way. We start to see our city change. We start to see our country change. We start to see the world change. That sounds so grandiose, but that's what he says, and I believe it. I'm into that. I'm going to buy that. I go for that. We see the world change by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us when we begin to dismantle and break down the age-old concept that is no longer useful in the body of Christ, of us and them. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful that you have come to wreck our hearts and minds by the power of your Spirit. Transform the way we even understand ourselves and those around us to drive us closer to you. And in and in, and in drawing closer to you, we begin to see the world differently. We begin to see ourselves and others differently. We begin to respond differently. We begin to, to experience real change in our hearts. I pray for every person here. People are cynical and jaded and fed up and tired and exhausted with all of this nonsense that we've, we've put up with for, for decades and even centuries. God, I pray for the sweeping power of your Holy Spirit to refresh our minds and renew our minds and renew our hearts and transform our hearts and minds until we really begin to understand who we really are. God, I pray that you would draw us closer to you, closer to one another, Let us bring people and God together in love. May you receive all honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.